When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. In just a moment, I will be joined by Diane Duresta, the CEO and founder of Duresta Communications, who is joining me uh, by phone from New York this evening. Before we get started, I want to send out my deepest uh, condolences to the entire Mount St. Joseph community on the passing of their president, Sister Kathleen Brabson. Uh, as a loyal sponsor of the show and supporter, Sister Kathleen devoted her entire life to helping young girls prepare for leadership in the world, and she's going to be greatly missed. Um, as we go into our breaks, be sure as well to stay with us for our watch team of contributors bringing you valuable information on health, leadership, finance, technology, diversity, and education. And this evening, Dawn Zier, the CEO of Nutrisystem, makes her debut tonight for our brand new CEO Watch. And as always, if you have questions for me or feedback uh, on the show for any members of our team, please feel free to reach out anytime at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And now I am excited and honored to welcome to the show Diane DeResta. Diane, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I, you know, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while because your um, specialty is communications, mm-hmm. and uh, I love the topic, um, all things related to communications. And um, doing my homework and research on you, I think you've come up with some really uh, wonderful tips and some great advice throughout your entire career. Um, and we will be talking about your book, Knockout Presentations. But I want to start with your background, find out a little bit about the young Diane DeResta growing mm-hmm. up in Brooklyn, New York, um, as the daughter of a military family. 
And um, one of the things that I read about that I think was striking was, you know, the amount of times you moved around uh, mm-hmm. twice living in Germany. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyone. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Tell me a little bit about that. Anyone who is what's known as a military brat is accustomed to moving. And the average is generally every three years there'd be a new assignment. So I did come from Brooklyn. I grew up in Brooklyn primarily. My parents were from Brooklyn. But we moved. So as a, a, a child, a, a baby, I was in Oklahoma and North Carolina. But we were we and uh, Governor's Island in New York. But we lived in Germany twice. And that was an amazing experience, and I believe that's where I got my love of foreign cultures and the adventurous side of me. I just love meeting new people. I'm very curious about them. And it teaches you a tolerance and a respect. I think there's no greater education than travel. And uh, then when my parents separated and divorced, we came back to New York, to Brooklyn. We lived in uh, Brooklyn. We lived Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I lived in four out of the five boroughs and I usually of New York City, I usually ask people, which one did I not live in? And the answer <laughs> would be the Bronx. I won't ask you because I know you're a silly person, but right. it was the Bronx. Okay. But I live I lived in I, I'm currently in Staten Island. I lived in Brooklyn, Queens, uh, Staten Island, Long Island, you name it. Wow. So so we did travel a bit. We had a little bit of change, right. to say the least. It, listen, if I'm coming to New York, I'm going to call you for questions about where to go, what to see, and uh-huh. <laughs> what to do. Um, you know, one of your famous quotes is that gifted speakers are born, but effective speakers are made. And I wonder which one are you, or were you, should I say? I'm the second I made. I don't think I was gifted, although when I look back at the younger Diane, I always corrected people's speech. It's so funny. I was never terrified of speaking, but I wasn't a stand-up. So I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a freshman in college, I needed one more three-credit course in order to be full-time, and I was getting closed out of everything. And finally, the one three-credit course that was open was, of course, public speaking because nobody wanted that course. So I got into the room, and fast forward, it's now the time when you do your first stand-up introduction. And I was nervous, and I got up, and I braced myself against the professor's desk. And as I was talking, the more I talked, the faster I talked, and I get more and more nervous. And I thought to myself, well, maybe nobody will notice. And just as I'm winding down, I hear this stage whisper in the back of the room, look, her shoulders are shaking. And oh, I wanted no. to, I wanted to dive under yes. the desk. I know? bet, but, I bet. But I did come back. I got a B in the course, so I was not a standout. And so, if you had told me then that I would be a professional speaker, having spoken on four continents, and training and and coaching some of the top people, executives and, and celebrities, I would not have believed you. So mm. I'm definitely in the second camp. Well, I that, really you, believe you can learn these skills. Well, that's great to hear because then it really proves, you know, that that is true. Um, because I always wonder, you know, things that we're born gifted to do, mm-hmm. uh, I sometimes wonder, can can that be taught? And obviously you are proof that it can be. Um, you know, one of the, you mentioned speaking and, and working and having traveled quite a bit, and you've worked with some big, big companies, major executives, companies like Citigroup, mm-hmm. uh, the Federal Reserve, J.P. Morgan, L'Oreal, uh, the NBA and the WNBA, which I, I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you a little bit about the difference um, you experienced there. 
here's my question for you. In in knowing that, um, how is it that someone can reach that level of success in a C-suite without already having those presentation skills? That is a very good question. And I think it will continue to become more difficult without them. And that's why I have work and people like myself go into companies. I think there are a lot of reasons why people get promoted, but here's the thing. I keep saying now that speaking is the new competitive advantage, and you can't avoid this skill. Because in the past, what people could do, and I'm talking 20 years ago, they could delegate a lot of this to their junior executives and people on their staff, and they could have spokespeople going out to talk. And now people want to hear from you. So it becomes more and more difficult to avoid this skill. So here's what I will say. It does stop them. And when people call me, when I'm called in from a, by a company, I usually hear something like, they lack, my team or the leader lacks gravitas. They need polish. I can't promote them to the next level. And that's where I come in and I help them get to that next level. So even at C-suite, even if you are good you have a coach because you have so many high-stakes presentations, and I can tell you a story about that. I had... You know what? Uh, can you hold on to that? Uh, sure. Diane, we're going to go into our first break, and when you come back, love to hear that story. Make sure you stay with us for our break as we hear from Holly Dowling for our Leadership Watch and our Health Watch with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We'll be right back. Women to Watch. Leadership Watch. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch for the Week. And another really powerful nugget that I feel many of us are thinking about at this time of year, especially with our organizations and our companies, is much focus is spent on what is our mode of operation going into 2019? What kind of implementations are we putting in place to attract the high-performing great employees? And by the way, what are we doing to retain great high-performing employees. And so as a leader, I know you battle with this. And we spend so much time and energy and we'll spend so much strategy and attention around attraction. And then guess what happens? We wonder why we're losing people left and right, because competition is at your heels. And at the end of the day, the retention is just as important as attraction. So I'm going to give you a secret tip right now. It ties with authentic leadership. We hear the word a lot and it's a big buzzword right now, but I'm going to ask you to be, go look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you truly leading through an authentic lens. And people will ask me all the time, Holly, what does authentic leadership really mean? Because I work with leaders around the world and I'd love to work with you in your organization. And what I'll tell you is, you wanna know what authenticity really means for you? It means being transparent. What's your story? People don't wanna hear how perfect your life has been because nobody's life is perfect. And as an authentic leader, be transparent, start sharing your story. And if you don't really know what that story is, let's talk because everyone has a story. And today, more than ever, organizations that are attracting the high performing employees want to know that people from the middle all the way to the top are authentic leaders, that they're transparent, that they're creating a culture of transparency, a culture of courage, and a culture that honors and shines the spotlight on everyone else's authentic self. And that is what so many people are missing. So throw out strategy, throw out feeling that everybody needs to be in a box, especially you as a leader. Let go of the stereotypes, pull back the layers of the onion, and reach out to me at hollydowling.com. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? 
At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Hypertension or high blood pressure, a silent killer because most of the time you don't have symptoms. Very common problem, in fact, it's the most common reason for doctor visits and use of prescription drugs. But about half the patients with the condition don't have adequate blood pressure control. Left untreated can lead to heart attack, stroke, kidney disease, even blindness. The American Heart Association defines it as blood pressure greater than 130 over 80. Now sometimes a reading can be high because of white coat syndrome, meaning you're nervous when you visit the doctor. If so, we check again in the office and a few times at home where you're more relaxed. And if it stays up, you need treatment. Causes for basic hypertension are not clearly understood, but we do know it's more common with increasing age and weight gain. Two times more common if you have one or both parents with hypertension. African Americans, it's more common, starts earlier in life with greater risk of stroke, kidney, and heart disease. Sometimes it results from other conditions like kidney disease or even sleep apnea. Get a sleep study if you snore. Be aware that some medicines can raise your pressure. The birth control pill, some cold meds like Sudafed, steroids, maybe even over-the-counter pain relievers like Motrin, Aleve, and many more, including recreational drugs like cocaine and methamphetamines. How can you protect yourself? Limit salt in your diet. Go online, read about the DASH diet, diet approaches to stop hypertension. Find ways to manage your stress. Watch cholesterol. Avoid excess alcohol and don't smoke. And divas, remember, regular exercise. Every week we learn how much it can decrease risk for disease. So listen to the words of the immortal James Brown and get up off of that thing. Uh. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Thanks for being with us. I'm having a really wonderful discussion with Diane Duresta, the CEO and founder of Duresta Communications. And just before the break, you were mentioning um, executives, and uh, we were talking about how is it that they get to that level without the presentation skills that you help people with. And, and you had a story to share. Yes, well, my point was that even when you do have the skills, a lot of executives hire coaches because they have many high-stakes presentations they give and they need to be their best. Mm. And I've said now that even though people call this a soft skill, it really has hard dollar bottom line results. So I was, talk I was with a CEO. He 
asked me to come and coach him because he had a high stakes presentation. He wanted to convince the executive committee to fund the building of a, a vaccine facility, and it would cost initially $300 million just to build. Mm -hmm. And there was no guarantee of success. And then there would be three years of clinical trials after that. So this is very high stakes. So I worked with him for a period of time. End result, he got the funding. And that initial $300 million turned into a $1 billion success for the company. So it has a real ROI, a a return on investment. And people, when they do this well, reap so many benefits. You get better promotions. You can sell more. You get to the next level. There's so many important elements to being able to communicate well. Do you do you feel as though sometimes you kind of <clears throat> find, uh, help executives find maybe an untapped skill that they have or an untapped uh, confidence? Yes, because what happens is one of one of my superpowers is I can find people's uniqueness, and so I when I work with people, I see what's special about them, and I help them to leverage that in the way that they're communicating, the way they're positioning themselves, mm. the way that they are presenting. So yes, you find out a lot of a lot of things about people that they can use to their advantage, and people don't give themselves enough credit. So I do a lot of confidence building in my work. Yes. And you know what? I I was reading um, one of your blog posts and um, your latest one was on authenticity, Mm -hmm. which I think is so critical because, of course, when you're coming from an authentic place, whenever you're speaking, um, that is your belief in, in what you're saying. And I would imagine, you know, that might be one of the most important things whenever you're presenting. Can you tell us that moment that you learned that lesson, the importance of vulnerability when you were presenting at a woman's luncheon? Yeah, that was a pretty recent. It might have been last year. It's not that I didn't know that, but I hadn't experienced it where it hit me in the face. What happened was I was giving my usual presentation that I would give to different conferences. And this was a small women's group about 40 people, a luncheon, and I said something that I didn't intend to say. I was in the moment, and I was explaining that there's a rough patch that I had when I was trying to leave the Board of Education. I was originally a speech pathologist, and I was trying to make a career change, and nothing was happening. And so one night, I remember lying in bed and saying, God, I surrender. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Just get me out. (laughs) And after the talk, women started coming up to me and telling me they so much resonated with what I said. And then they became more curious. And they said, well, would you have said God if you were talking to a corporation? And I said, well, in this case, I think I would because I was quoting myself. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't planned to say it. I was just being in the moment, being me, being real. And that realness, that authenticity is what people reacted to. So it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, you mentioned your your previous career, and your first employer was the New York City Board of Education, where you were speech, uh, excuse me, pathologist. I can't say it, speech <laughs> pathologist, yes, uh, diagnosing and treating children uh-huh. uh, with speech and language disorders. Tell me two, two questions I have about that. What did you learn during those years that helped prepare you for the work you do in business and with executives? And when did you decide to change course? What was the catalyst for that? Well, it was, it was clinical training. So one of the advantages I have over others 
is that I understand how people learn. And I continue to use some of those practices, although I don't practice clinically. But when you worked in that capacity as a speech pathologist in the Board of Ed, you had to do what's called a task analysis. You had to take a behavior and break it down. And you needed to know how to plan a lesson. And you needed to know how to work with so many different disorders and personalities. So I, I had some really good training and lessons there. But at a certain point after eight and a half years, there wasn't a career path. And I didn't want to be an administrator in the Board of Education. I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So that's where I went out and decided to find a new career. And I ended up doing stand-up training, public speaking training for an existing company that did public seminars for corporations. So that was my foray into business. Oh, I see. And that was the hardest transition. I bet. I bet. Um, you know, I want to go back for a minute. You you went to Brooklyn College and, and Columbia mm-hmm. uh, Teachers mm-hmm. College where you received your degree. When you were young back then, was was that always your aspiration? No, I, my first aspiration was to be a teacher. And then I had other things like to be an actress and a beautician, you know, all these things that little girls like. But I was originally going to be a high school English teacher, but at the time, there weren't jobs. There weren't very many teaching jobs. So one day in that public speaking class that I took, the professor was talking about the profession of speech pathology, and it sounded interesting. I checked it out, and the rest is history. I really liked it. It was similar to the field of teaching, so to speak, and it was a teaching helping profession. And I really took to it. I liked it. And that's how that happened. I hadn't planned it. Mm. When we come back, we're going to take another break. I I have a question for you about teaching, teaching both speech and listening. You're listening to Women to Watch. I'm with Diane DeResta, CEO and founder of DeResta Communications. And stay with us during the break for our brand new CEO Watch with CEO of Nutrisystem, Dawn Zier. We'll be right back. Women to Watch, CEO Watch. Hi, I'm Dawn Zier, CEO of Nutrisystem with today's CEO Watch. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the number one thing to pay attention to as a business leader, and that's company culture. I'm sure you've heard the famous Peter Drucker phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And you know what? It's true. Culture is the building block for any strategy. It starts with your team and having the right people in place to execute that strategy. And here's the thing. Your company already has its own distinct culture. Culture exists whether or not you're driving it. If you don't define it, it will be defined for you, and that can have unintended consequences. As a leader, setting a deliberate culture should be your first priority. This was lesson number one that my trusted advisor gave me when I was stepping into my first-time role as a CEO back in 2012, and it's not a one-and-done sort of thing. You must constantly tweak it along the way because organizations are not static and your culture needs to continually evolve as your company does. For instance, when I came to Nutrisystem, I put in place a facts-based culture along with a performance-driven reward system. This principle is cascaded throughout our entire organization. It's part of our employees' daily experience. It shapes our go-forward strategy. It's how we're financially rewarded. It's how we look at marketing, events, innovation, the customer experience, and more. In fact, a good third of my day, every day, is with a focus and deliberate actions that reinforce our culture. While we're an e-commerce-based company with so much access to data, the initial meetings I had when I came to the company 
were based on opinions and not facts. And when we did look at data, there was not a consistent way of looking at it. So there were multiple versions of the truth. I quickly realized that we needed to create a common platform to drive towards an internal dynamic where people could have facts-based conversations that led to quicker decision-making. This led to a huge increase in productivity across all levels of the company, and the phrase just the facts became part of our vernacular. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zero Nutrisystem. I'll be back next week to talk more about company culture for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. The Women to Watch. Finance Watch. This is Maggie Carrado. And this is Terry McDermott. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Financial planning involves a lot more than saving and investing. Today we will talk about protecting your family and assets in the event of premature death and how women underestimate their worth. Life insurance helps to replace lost income. Even if you don't work outside the home or bring in a regular paycheck, your contributions to the family have monetary value. If you weren't here, who would care for your children or family members who depend on you? Having someone else take over these activities could be expensive. When determining the right amount of life insurance you should have, it is important to look at all the contributions you make to your household and family in addition to any earnings. Penn Mutual Life Insurance Company conducted a survey in 2012 about women's perceptions of their worth. The bottom line is that women contribute more to their families than they think they do, and that affects the amount of life insurance they need. This study found that when computing the value of what people actually contribute per year to their household, women contribute twice that of men. By not taking their entire contribution into account, women are putting their loved one's financial security at risk by not having adequate life insurance coverage. Having life insurance through your employer is not enough. Coverage is contingent upon your active employment and is probably based on the amount of your earnings, not on the contributions you make to your family. So what are your next steps? Figure out the annual value of your contributions to your household, those that can be measured in dollars and those that can't. That should be used to determine the amount of life insurance you need. Educate yourselves on the the basics of life insurance. We highly encourage you to consult with a trusted financial professional to help educate you on the various life insurance products and evaluate your options to determine the right mix of coverage. You insure your car, your home, and other property. Isn't it at least as important to insure your financial worth to your family? This is Terry. And this is Maggie. And that's your Finance Watch. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD.
Diane, uh, before the break, you you mentioned your teaching um, experience, and you've taught both speech and listening courses at Cornell Mm -hmm. and NYU. Mm -hmm. And so my question for you is, how do you teach listening? (laughs) By listening very carefully. (laughs) Well, it's a, a skill that we're not taught in school. We don't really get much training in the workplace. And it's one of the most challenging skills. So it's first creating awareness of what the skills are, what the steps are, what the myths are, and then practicing those skills with people. And you know, a big piece of it is suspending the ego. And most of us wait, just we, we listen just enough until we can get our next two words in. Mm, and that's yes. not true listening. Yes. That's not listening to understand. Right. So it's, it's a process. You know, I've always felt that, you know, people are one or the other. They are either talkers or they're listeners. <laughs> and um, talking about that, suspending the ego, that's so fascinating to me because I was reading something recently um, about people in general conversation day to day. So much of our thoughts are on ourselves when mm-hmm. someone is speaking to us. Right. Um, right. And you're thinking of all kinds of uh, of things and letting go of that, just as you said, maybe you can better describe how to do that and why it's important, um, will make you a tremendous listener. Well, they're both skills. So, yes, there are some people that like to talk and some people that like to listen. So they're extroverts and introverts. But it's a skill that and anybody can learn, but it, it's a lot, it takes a lot of practice. So it's about making the commitment to doing that to realizing your triggers. That's one of the things I talk about, emotional triggers, because that's when you stop listening. And it's hard if people come from their egos. It's, it goes back to being present in the moment, and it's very hard for people. So think of the elevator speech. So you're around a table at a networking group, and now it's your turn. The whole time, you're trying to memorize in your head what you're going to say, or you're focusing on your nervousness. And that's a hard thing to get to give up, but it's about just being centered, staying in the moment, really listening to people. And then when it's your turn, let whatever comes out, come out. Mm. Not that you didn't practice, you should know what you do, but have a conversation instead of being scripted. Mm. Yes. So do you, Diane, do you know, with your profession, do you still get nervous perhaps before or during presentations? And if so, what do you do? I do get somewhat nervous but it's more about the logistics. It's the technology and is everything set up in the room and that kind of thing. Mm. But I do get a little nervous if it's a high stakes presentation. So if I were speaking to the National Speakers Association annual convention on the main stage, I would be really nervous because those are some of the top speakers around the country. But for the most part, I focus on the audience. I'm, I'm coming from love and caring. And so when I go in there, I think of myself as the hostess or host, and I'm trying to make people feel comfortable. Mm. And then I'm sharing my knowledge with them, and then I want to hear from them. So I try to make it a two-way. And by the way, that's a good technique for anyone who's nervous. Try dialoguing with people. Get there early. Greet them. Find out a little bit about them. And then make reference to something that you talked about when you were networking. 
before the presentation, and yes. you'll find that you have friends. Yes. You know, I've seen Holly Dowling do that exceptionally. She is our Leadership Watch contributor. Um, you may or may not know her. And before any event, she is in there on a personal level getting to know the audience and always mm-hmm. uses that as part of her uh, presentation. And again, that's that personalizes it and, and uh, brings the audience in. It's so important. Yeah. And that's the weakest part. I talk in my book about the YAM formula. Know yourself, know your audience, know your message, Y-A-M. And the place that is the weakest, the area that's weakest is audience. People don't do enough research and spending time getting to know the audience. So I always require people to profile their audience before Mm. they speak to them. That's great advice. Um, so, Diane, you work with C-suite executives and um, and other another uh, levels, people in different levels of business. I wanted to know if you can share with us the the difference in working with men and women and how they receive your advice and your training. Well, you know, it's funny. I've always said that there are two equalizers in life: money and public speaking. <laughs> so. I don't see a real difference in the fear factor between men and women. It, it's People are equally nervous. But overall, I find that men are more confident than women. They'll step up more quickly than women. So an example of that is I went into a school, Staten Island Technical High School, and I had offered to do a free talk on public speaking when my book came out. And it was interesting. Every time I asked for a volunteer, it was a boy. Every time I asked a question, the hand that would go up would be from the boys. So it was an eye-opener for me that we have to start much younger and inspire girls and build their confidence to step up. And I actually did a confidence class in my community. It was an eight-week class for middle school girls. Mm. And we worked the way adults do in terms of their presentations and giving feedback and getting videotaped. And it was very empowering. And there's, uh, there are people today who say they still use what they learned back in seventh grade. That's fantastic. I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me with everything that we see going on today to to help and support young girls. um, There's still such a need uh, to Mm -hmm. help them with their confidence and believing in themselves. We're going to go into another break. When we come back, I had a question for you about young people and their communication skills today growing up in this world of technology. I'd love to get your Uh feedback on that. (laughs) Stay with us during the break for our Education Watch and our Diversity Watch. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. When I was in my 20s, I went on a soul-searching journey that gave me the opportunity to explore conventional ways of finding happiness. I was not much of a practicing Muslim at the time. I had a lot of misconceptions about the religion that left me uninterested to look for answers. At the age of 22, I took on a great job offer with an international advertising agency in Dubai and traveled there. On my first project, I won an award for the best creative work and traveled to France to represent the Middle East. I was young, successful, traveling the world, but something was always missing. I felt a void inside of me and everything felt fake. There was something that was not making sense to me and I was not really addressing it. I kept running away and the feeling kept being one step ahead of me. I had to make a full stop and reconsider what happiness meant and where to look for it. It took me a whole year to reconcile with myself and find my truth. 
When I heard this verse in chapter 57 in the Quran, quote, Know that this worldly life is no more than play and games and boasting among you and hoarding of money and children. And the verse later explicitly says, quote, This worldly life is no more than a temporary illusion. End quote. The verse made more sense to me than I can express in words. It explained why every time I achieved the goal, the reward, no matter how glamorous, was not as fulfilling as I expected. Today's prophetic ethic is being realistic, having realistic expectations of life, our own self, and others. Disappointments and failures are sometimes the result of overestimating our contribution or underestimating the effect of our actions. Being at a certain degree of clarity will help us set achievable goals that guarantee our success. Eluding something that isn't is a way of cheating. Life has a way of cheating us that way, don't you think? It's important to stay realistic. Till next time, my friends, stay woke and connect with me on hanadistreaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. This is the Women to Watch. Education Watch. Hi, I'm Colleen Hanich, the president of LaSalle University, and this is your Education Watch, where today we will be talking about the role of academic quality in the college search process. What do we mean when we say quality? So for me, academic quality starts and ends with outstanding faculty. As parents and prospective students, you need to ask, who's at the front of the classroom? Is it a teaching assistant? Well, at LaSalle, for example, it's never a teaching assistant. It is a member of our faculty, and that matters. You need to look for uh, faculty that have terminal degrees in their field, so whether it's a PhD or, or whatever it is. You need to look for colleges where the graduates quickly find jobs in their fields after they graduate. That's another measure of academic quality. You need to look at the admission standards that are in place, not only for the, for the college, but also for the program. What percentage of applicants are actually admitted into the program? Another really important question from my perspective is to look at the advising program that they have. So is there an opportunity for students to meet with faculty and get their advice not only on their majors, but on what they're going to do after school when they, when they graduate? All of these roll up into a bigger question about academic quality and how that is instituted at each college. What about rankings and accreditation? Do they matter? So rankings and accreditation both matter. Rankings are really, for me as a parent and as an administrator, matter when they are coming from entities that have been around for a long time. And when you look at highly respected ranking journals such as US News and World Report or the Princeton Review, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Times Higher Ed, Money Magazine, all of these will tell you important things about the schools that you are looking at. Similarly, with accreditation, you want to make sure that the school is meeting standards of education in the region, both at a school level and at a programmatic level. All of these will speak to academic quality. Really great advice, Colleen. Thanks so much. Thank you. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Thanks so 
much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. I'm enjoying greatly my conversation with Diane DeResta, the CEO and founder of DeResta Communications. She's based in New York. And uh, just before the break, we were we mentioned young people and um, the poor millennials. They get such a bad rap today for growing up in the technology era. And, you know, the, the worry everyone has about the future. And, you know, you're out there doing it and speaking to people. What do you see? in them as far as their communication skills or lack of because of their constant communicating um, through technology? There is a big challenge and a gap in their ability to communicate face-to-face and socially. And in fact, I've read some studies where they're talking now about cell phones are actually addictive and they change the brain. So I would say parents especially need to limit the time that they're children are on cell phones and on technology and spend more time actually having conversations. And I know that's not typical anymore, but it's so important. I have a friend who does that with her daughter. And I would say that in the workplace, there is a real need for that kind of training to bring face-to-face communication in and to make that a value so that people aren't next door to each other and texting. Mm -hmm. Get out of your seat, walk over, and look eye to eye. And I will say that my book, Knockout Presentations, is perfect for millennials. It's interesting because it also is being used in college courses, in public speaking classes. So it's literally gone from the college campus to the C-suite. And that's how practical the tips are in that book. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, it applies to anyone, certainly, mm -hmm. and probably... You know, especially a great um, reference for young people. But to your point, what's happening now is marketers and companies are changing to manage or to communicate with millennials. So now there's even text coaching. People are oh create, doing coaching through text. It's experimental. <clears throat> wow. I don't. Okay. I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah. But those things are happening. Wow, that's unbelievable. What, tell me what you think about the. 24-hour news cycle uh, that we live in and, and the need to respond to it? You know, it's sometimes I have to turn off the television because it's so much data coming in, and I think we have too much information. We really need less. We need to empty our minds and be present and mindful. And when you do that, you're going to be more effective in your presentations and in your communication. Your, your brain is cluttered, and after a while, you can't even attend. And you know the statistic they've come out with that a goldfish has an attention span one second longer than a human, which is pretty bad. I never <laughs> so <laughs> I did yeah. not know that. <laughs> yeah, I believe humans are seven seconds and goldfish are eight seconds. So <laughs> that, that's not good news. We need to reconnect with each other. And that's what a good public speaker does. They connect with the audience. There's a big difference between talking at someone and communicating and connecting. And you do that through your eyes. You do that through your stories. You do that by holding the space and being present. And those are all the things that I teach people to do. And it makes such a great impact. Mm. Tell me, Diane, what, what is challenging for you? Yeah, I, can, I know that you're passionate about your work uh, and you've been very successful. Um, I wonder if you can share with the audience, you know, what, what is something that you have to work on on a regular basis? 
In terms of my speaking? No, in ter- just personally, you know, what is, is, is difficult and challenging, you know, personally, um, running this, this company and dealing with, with executives who are, as you say, you know, going into high-stake uh, presentations. What is something that is, you know, difficult for you that you have to work on? Well, the world has changed. So navigating the digital marketplace is very challenging because you have to continually upgrade your skills. And the nature of what I do has changed in companies. So the models of coming in and doing a lot of training seminars has changed. There's a lot of competition and there's a gig economy now. So there are so many people out there coming in and trying to do different things. Some companies are saying, well, we don't want to have someone come in. Let's watch a video mm, or, okay. you know, let's, yeah. let's do online learning. So right. there's, a, there's a lot. So my next thing is to develop an online course. Okay. And that's a lot of work, as, oh, yeah. as, is, as is writing a book. Tell, tell yes. me why, why did you decide to write the book? I always wanted to write a book. And it was a way, first of all, it's a, an incredible calling card. And it's a way of sharing your knowledge when you're not there. So I always say to people, if you can't be with me or if you can't afford me, you can have me in the book. It's the next best thing to having me there because I wrote it as a seminar in a book. And it's got all the tools, all the skills, all the case studies, all the examples, so that you can read that and actually implement it and start to up your game in your speaking. So that I wrote it so that people would have that information, and it's something that lives on. You can get your message out there so much better to a wider audience yes. as opposed to trying to duplicate yourself. Is, is there any, you know, I always believe there's diamonds in the rough, and I wondered if you had a client story that someone who inspired you uh, that stays with you. Well, you know, there are a number of people. Anytime I see change, it's exciting. And I always say that I'm in the transformation business. And that's what I like when I'm live with people, because in a matter of even a day, I can see people turn around. They, they gain more confidence. They're able to use the skills and improve their presentations. And I, I said to people, you don't have to do a big makeover. All you have to do are these little tweaks, and it makes a great difference. But I had a, a client who, when we started, she was practically invisible. She was making good contributions financially to the company, but she was being overlooked or they didn't know. So e- even though I came in to work on her presentation, I helped her to get up, step out, and be more visible. That's fantastic. You know, you're you're really, especially with women, helping them find their voice, Diane, and, and uh, I think it's so great. Uh, th- I thank you so much for joining us this evening and telling us a little bit about your story and your work. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to our sponsors and watch team for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.